Section 4, Questions People Ask. In this section, you'll find quick answers to the many questions you may have about death, burial, shiva, mourning, and the afterlife. These are questions we often hear from people who are grieving or simply curious about what Judaism has to say about these important matters. The answers are grouped into three sections. The 10 most commonly asked questions about burial, shiva, and mourning the 10 most commonly asked questions about death, and the 10 most commonly asked questions about the afterlife. You'll find more information about these subjects throughout the book. The 10 most commonly asked questions about burial, shiva, and mourning. 1. What does the Hevra Kedisha do? The Jewish Burial Society, the Hevra Kedisha, provides a valuable and critical service to the Jewish community. Those who serve on the Hevra Kedisha do not do it for fame and fortune. They are special volunteers who have a certain calling for this mitzvah of preparing the dead for burial. The laws of preparation are very detailed and specific. Please take comfort in knowing that those who are preparing your loved one for burial are doing it with sensitivity, and are taking the greatest care to respect the dignity of the departed. They are also acting with a deep sense of spiritual commitment to the entire process. They carefully and respectfully cleanse the body and then cover it in a special burial shroud. They are called day and night to perform this act and rarely receive any recognition for it. 2. What are the most important things to know about burial? Cremation is forbidden in Jewish law. The body, intact, must go back to the earth. A casket should be as simple as possible. Ideally, a plain, unvarnished pine box. This symbolizes the fact that we leave this world and all its materialism behind. All we take with us is our deeds. Don't let any funeral director try to convince you that the more you love the person, the more you should spend on a casket. If you want to do something of value for your loved one, give the money you save on a casket to tzedakah, a Jewish charity, in his or her memory. We do not have open casket ceremonies. We do not put makeup on the bodies embalmed them, or dressed them in the clothing of this world. When people have died, we need to let them go. Putting makeup on them, viewing them as if they were alive, or embalming to preserve them are ideas antithetical to Judaism. Your loved one is not a body, but a soul. Trying to hold on to the body misdirects everyone's focus to what is physical instead of what is spiritual. In Israel, caskets are not used. The person is wrapped in the burial shroud and placed directly into the ground. Those who come to the funeral to comfort the mourners should actively participate in the burial itself. We are supposed to bury our own. Participation 
is called a chesed shel emet, a kindness of truth. It is an act of giving on the purest level, for the one you are burying can never do anything for you. This task is painful, and it takes time, but it is very important. The casket should be completely covered with earth. This is done by the friends and family of the direct mourners, not the mourners themselves. And then Kaddish is said, by the mourners. The first shovelful, usually placed by the rabbi or the one conducting the service at the graveside, is made with the back of the shovel to symbolize that we are not trying to do this in the most efficient physical way. We are here to do the mitzvah of burial, not to fill a hole in the ground. Following Kaddish, the direct mourners leave, and those who have come to the burial stay behind to finish the burial. The earth should now completely fill the grave, to the point where a small mound is seen at the top, differentiating it from the flat ground around it. Question number three. Must I sit Shiva for the full seven days? The word Shiva comes from the word Sheva, which means seven. Seven is a very significant number in Judaism. God created the world in seven days. The seventh day is Shabbat, the Holy Sabbath. Seven signifies completion in this world. Observing the Shiva for the proper seven days signifies that your loved one completed his or her lifetime in this world. As mourners, we sit and mourn for the full seven days in order to begin the completion of the initial stages of grief and healing. A complete seven-day shiva brings the most difficult period to an end and also builds a bridge to slowly return to our lives. Question number four. Where is the best place to hold the shiva? If possible, the optimum place to have the shiva is at the home of the departed. If necessary, those who are required to sit shiva can do so in more than one place. Often, a sibling must return home to another city following the burial and can sit shiva away from the rest of the family. The ideal is to be together but that is not always possible. Question number five. Must I provide food and beverages for those coming to pay a shiva call? No. Do not turn the shiva into a party. Food and drinks create a festive atmosphere that you want to avoid. Friends and loved ones who want to send food should do so for the direct mourners not for those coming to comfort the mourners. Question number six. Are people supposed to come to the shiva at any time, day or night? It is proper to have specific hours for the shiva that can be announced at the funeral and posted on the door of the shiva house. Question number seven. Must we have prayer services at the shiva home? The best practice is to have prayer services so that the direct mourners can say Kaddish with a minion, a prayer quorum. Three services are held each day, Shachrit in the morning, Mincha in the afternoon, 
and Mariv in the evening. The latter two are usually held together with Mincha just before sundown, followed by a short break during which someone can speak about the departed. Then Mariv immediately follows. If it is not possible to have all the services, try to hold at least one of them so that Kaddish is said daily. Question number eight. What if I can't say Kaddish every day for the 11 months customarily required of me? Kaddish must be said for the departed. It is required for 30 days following the burial for everyone except a parent. When a parent passes away, his or her children should say Kaddish daily for 11 months. If this is not possible to do, or if you know that it will not be done on certain days, you can give tzedakah to someone to say it on your behalf. We recommend that people contact Asha Torah in Jerusalem to arrange for a rabbinical student to say Kaddish at the Western Wall. This sponsors him in his studies and is a special way for you to remember your loved one and ensure that a proper Kaddish is always said. You can go to com and click on Kaddish on the left-hand side of the page. Aisha Toro will also make sure that Kaddish is said on the yurt site, the annual anniversary of the death of the departed. Question number nine. I know I should avoid musical and festive events during the year of mourning, but what if I'm invited to a wedding? You can attend the wedding ceremony, but not the reception. If it is very, very important for you to attend the reception because of the nature of your relationship with the family of the bride and groom, then you must be part of the staff, so to speak, in order to attend. That means you must be a temporary waiter or waitress so that you are working and not just attending. Question number 10. If I am married to one who is a direct mourner, what is my role in the process? You do not sit shiva, and you are not restricted by the laws of the stages of mourning. You simply need to be respectful and behave in a manner that is appropriate for the situation involving a loss and for the overall feeling in the house of mourning. The 10 Most Commonly Asked Questions About Death Question number one. I understand you're supposed to be with people when they die and not leave them alone until the burial. Why is that? A person has a body and soul. The body is temporary, while the soul is eternal. At the moment of death, though the soul leaves the body, it remains close to the body and does not completely leave this world until after the burial itself. You stay with the person in order to comfort the soul. Question number two. Why is the soul still here? Judaism doesn't teach that the body is bad, the soul is good, and the two do battle with one another throughout life. The body and soul are supposed to be a team led by the soul. 
Together, they make the best decisions so the individual can realize his or her potential. This partnership causes the soul to become attached to the body, and only when the earth covers the coffin does the soul depart this world. Question number three. What if no one is present when somebody dies? God, in his infinite wisdom, decides how and when a person should die. Many people have shared stories with me of how they and their siblings were with a dying parent around the clock, and yet the parent passed away in a brief moment when no one was there. The will to live is incredibly strong, and sometimes, when a life is really at its end, we have to give our loved ones permission to let go and to leave this world. Often, people who are dying know, on a deep level, how painful it will be for those left behind, and they can only let go when they are alone, sparing those they love the pain of witnessing their last breath. Do not feel bad about not being there. Somehow, it was meant to be. Question number four. How can someone possibly be with a person around the clock until the burial? The Hevra Kedisha, the burial society of a community, can arrange for a series of shomrim, guards, to be with your loved one around the clock. Each of those guards should be Jewish. Question number five. Does a person who is in a coma have awareness of what is happening around him or her? Take comfort in knowing that although the body may be suffering, the person's soul is not, and that soul has complete awareness of what is happening. Anyone who works in hospice care will tell you that you should always speak and conduct yourself around a person who is dying with the knowledge that he or she may have awareness. The soul is trapped inside this body that is breaking down, preparing for an end. Thus you can ask the person's forgiveness, speak loving words, and even give the person permission to depart. Question number six. What else should I do if I am with a person who is at their end? The last thing on our lips before we depart this world should be the definitive Jewish statement that captures the core meaning of our very existence. This statement is known as the Shema. Shema Yisroel Adoinoi Eloiheinu Adoinoi Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, God the one and only. Ideally, people who are dying should say the Shema themselves. If they are unable, you can say it for them. Question number seven. Is it true that one should make a deathbed confession? A person wants to leave this world with a clean slate. That means making peace with those the person may have had conflict with and also making peace with God. 
This process is called teshuva, which means return. Ideally, a person should say the vidui, the confessional prayers that are said on Yom Kippur. If the person who is at the end of his life is in a weakened state or is not accustomed to expressing spiritual ideas and feelings, encourage him or her to say the following prayer. I acknowledge before you, Hashem, my God and God of my fathers, that my recovery or death is in your hands. May it be your will that you heal me completely. But if I die, may my death be an atonement for all the mistakes, sins, and rebellions I have erred, sinned, and rebelled before you. May my portion be in Gan Eden, and may you allow me to be in the world to come, which lies in store for the righteous. Question number eight. If my loved one's soul is going to a better place, then is it wrong to be sad? Our sadness and despair have to do with our loss, not the journey of the person departing. The sadness you feel is normal and part of the mourning process that one needs to go through. The fact that your loved one is going on to a place of clarity and harmony where ultimately no pain or struggle exists should bring you comfort. This does not remove the pain and sadness, but it should lessen it and help carry you through the critical stages of mourning. Question number nine. Can I communicate with my loved one after death? It seems that communicating with the dead is possible, but in Jewish law, forbidden. Several commandments address the idea of communicating with the dead, but all strictly forbid a Jew from doing so. You want your loved ones to be free to go on to the next world and bask in all the soul-filled pleasures offered there. Contact draws them back to this world and detains them from the pleasure in heaven. Let them go, for their sake and for yours. Give the mourning process more time. You will heal. Question number 10. Is death a punishment? Basically, no reward and punishment is in place in this world. Only in the world to come does that reward and punishment set in. Death is not a punishment, it's a guarantee. We are dying from the moment we are born, but often we mistakenly interpret an early death as a punishment and a long life as a reward. Everyone knows they're going to die, but no one believes it, says Maury in Tuesdays with Maury. We come into this world as if we had little backpacks on our backs. Each has a number signifying how many years we are destined to live. Some say seven, some say thirty-seven, and some say a hundred and seven. But only God can see that number. Clearly, in the Torah, our forefathers and foremothers had years added and years taken away based on the choices they made. But because they had spiritual clarity back then, 
People knew when time was added or subtracted and why. Today, we do not know the original number we were given, and thus we cannot have the clarity to know if we were given more years or if years were taken away. Imagine you go to the shiva of someone who died very young, perhaps at 27. Everyone is devastated. But it may be that her backpack had originally said seven, and for some reason she was granted 20 more years. And if you go to the shiva of someone who is 87, you are likely to say at least he lived a long life. But what if his backpack originally said 107, and for some reason 20 years were taken away? We simply can't know all of the considerations that determine when a person's life will or will not end. Reward, punishment, our personal mission in life, the impact we may be having on others, the impact others have on us. This is where trusting in God comes in. He knows the number, he knows the plan, and he sees a picture that is far bigger than any of us can imagine. We are always in God's hands. Commonly Asked Questions About the Afterlife Question 1. Does Judaism believe in the existence of heaven and hell? Yes, but the afterlife is not full of angels with wings and devils with pitchforks. While alive, we live in a state of conflict, a conflict between body and soul. When we live a soul-driven life, the soul is strengthened and elevated. When we live a physically centered life, body-driven, the soul is weakened, tarnished, and even wounded. Hell, in Hebrew, Gehenna, is a hospital for the soul. We are thankful we have hospitals in this world, but we never want to need one. We know that hospital stays are difficult and very painful. Nonetheless, if we do need surgery, we're grateful that hospitals and their medical teams are available. This is how it is with Gehenna. God created a place where spiritual wounds can be healed, and it's an expression of God's kindness and love. If we didn't correct our mistakes and properly care for our souls while alive, we can take care of them there. The maximum time you can be in Gehenna is for 12 months of a Jewish year. And that's why we say Kaddish for only 11 months, because we would never assume the departed person needs the elevation and healing for an entire year. Heaven is a world of incredible spiritual pleasure for healthy souls. It is often compared to a theater. Imagine God is center stage. Being close to him is the ultimate pleasure. Everyone has a seat in the theater but some have front row center, some sit in the balcony, and others have an obstructed view. Your seat and pleasure in heaven is based on the choices you made in this world.
For more about heaven and hell, listen back in section one. Question two. Does Judaism believe in reincarnation? Yes. But coming back is not the ideal. It means you didn't get it right the first time around, and you still have important work to do. Reincarnation is for rectification. You can come back with a different gender, a different religion, or even belonging to a different species. It's even possible to return as an inanimate object. When a soul does come back, it's not exactly the same soul. A soul that returns with another body is like a candle lit from another candle. The second flame is an extension of the first, and it only exists because of the first, yet it has its own separate identity, and it in no way diminishes the first flame. Question three. I heard that Judaism believes in the resurrection of the dead. What's that all about? Resurrection is one of the cornerstones of Jewish belief. Judaism believes that one day the Messiah, the Mashiach, will come and usher in a new, more spiritually refined and morally attuned era. Then, about a thousand years after the Messiah comes, the world will be transformed into a qualitatively different place. All souls will be judged for a final time, and God will decide who merits eternity and who does not. If you merit eternity, your body and soul will be reunited and live once again. Resurrection of the dead is that reunification of the body and soul. Is this a wild idea? You bet. But God can do anything. What will someone look like at the time of resurrection? If, if she was old when she died, will she start out again as an old woman? If you had one leg, would you still have one leg? Your body will be a reflection of your soul's accomplishments in this world. If your soul achieved great things, then your body will reflect that for eternity. You'll look just great. On the other hand, if you devoted most of your time money, and effort to your body, and not a lot to your soul, then your body will reflect that too, forever. Question four, where does the Messiah fit into all of this? The Messiah is a uniquely great leader and a mortal human being. The Messiah can come because the world is so spiritually refined and morally elevated that it deserves such leadership, or because the world is so debased that only such a leader could save it. If the Messiah comes because of the latter condition, it will mean a war of all wars, but this will ultimately end and the world will be permeated with the awareness of God. Question five. What does Judaism say about near-death experiences? The Talmud mentions the phenomena of near-death experiences. And there's nothing like a near-death experience to wake you up to life. Countless people have told me amazing stories of their near-death experiences, and a pattern can be seen in all of them. People feel a sense of calm, 
and then they have an out-of-body experience. They watch themselves going through the trauma, and everyone around is trying to help. They usually feel drawn to a white light in a calm and peaceful way. Yet, for some reason, they do not fully proceed into the light. Abruptly, they return. The experience is profoundly life-changing. People who have gone through it are refocused on their life here, realizing that they have been given a second chance. They also, they don't have a fear of death, as they know it's beautiful, natural, and truly life after life. Question six. Are deceased relatives aware of what I'm doing here? Our departed loved ones do have awareness of the spiritual dimension of the world they left behind. They know when mitzvot, commandments, are obeyed in this world. They know when we live our lives differently because of how they lived and because they died. Our loved ones have this awareness because those events change their place in the world to come. They move up rows, so to speak, in the theater of heaven. What we do in this world counts, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones who have passed. We only exist because they existed. We are here because of the choices they made. Likewise, our choices have an impact on them. Question 7. Is it possible to contact the dead? Yes, but it is completely forbidden in Judaism. We want the deceased to separate from this world and travel to the highest part of heaven. By communicating with them, we actually draw them back to this world and interfere with their journey. Although wanting to contact them is kind of selfish on our part, it's understandable. We so desperately miss them. Please know that if you truly love them, you'll let them go. Cherish their memory and elevate their souls by doing what is right in this world. That's what they want you to do. That is what is right to do. Question eight. When people die, are they reunited with family and friends? In the next world, you have awareness of and a connection to your loved ones. For couples, the way they relate to one another, care for and love one another, has a particularly profound impact on how they will spend eternity. This is because when two people marry, they become one soul. And in the next world, you exist as a soul. Apparently, the quality of your eternity is largely based on how you treat your spouse in this world. So choose your spouse wisely. Work very hard at your marriage. Marriage is not just for now. It's for eternity. Question 9. If I see a departed relative in a dream, does that mean anything? Dreams are significant, but not easy to understand. The Talmud says that a portion of dreams is prophecy, and a portion is nonsense. The problem is that it's hard to know which is which. 
we're supposed to always interpret dreams in a positive manner, for if it is a prophetic dream, it will be fulfilled according to the interpretation. If you have a recurring dream, you should take it seriously and perhaps discuss it with a rabbi who can help you understand its meaning. A recurring nightmare may be a message to change your ways and do teshuva. In this case, you are advised to seek the guidance of a rabbi. Question 10. Does Judaism allow for cremation? No. Cremation is strictly forbidden. The body has sanctity because it housed the soul. We treat the body with great respect. We are commanded to return our bodies to the earth, for that is where, in the beginning, we came from. Adam, the first being, was formed from the earth. And, as we have discussed, one day you're going to need your body again.